Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 8 this morning. We're going to talk about the famous Abraham from the Old Testament. We're actually going to mention Abraham and Sarah both. I think as, as children, you may remember this when you were a kid, but I think it's natural for children to want to make their parents proud, at least at some level. You may have recalled times in your childhood when you had hoped that maybe your dad or mom really loved the sport you were in, and you maybe just really wanted to play hard because you really wanted to make them proud. You wanted to see them be happy about what you had done. Again, I think that's kind of natural that a child wants to do things that sort of let their parents, maybe they don't say it, but they can feel that their mom or dad's proud of something that they did. Maybe whatever hobby it could have been. And they're looking for some sort of an affirmation from their parent. It's kind of sad, actually, you've seen kids this way, unfortunately, that are in a home where their parents don't really give that affirmation, where they express to their child that they are proud of them. They're proud that they are their child. And that tends to be when that child grows up, they'll probably have some developmental issues. There's something natural about that, where we want to please our parents, make them proud. Now, I want you to think about that concept on on a human level. And here's the thing. It's really no different when it comes to us and our Heavenly Father, God, the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about if you are living in such a way that God would say about you, I'm proud to call you one of my children in my family. That God would look at you and say, I'm not ashamed to say that you're a part of my family. Let's be honest, we have family members like that. They're out there, right? They're in your family. You don't talk about them a lot. When it's brought up, it's kind of like, well, you know, yeah, they're in the family, but um, we don't go there. We've all got them if we're honest. But think about that when it comes to you and God. Could God say about you when someone throws out your name in heaven, maybe, and God says, oh, yes, yes, they're one of my sons or my daughters, and I'm very proud of them. I'm not ashamed to be called their God. Could God say that? In today's story about our next heroes of the faith. We're going to mention Abraham and Sarah. He quickly says Isaac and Jacob, but the focus is Abraham and Sarah mostly. And I want you to look at Hebrews eleven sixteen. That's where I'm getting the title and the point of the message. And we'll work our way back there. But in Hebrews eleven sixteen, he says this phrase, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That struck me studying this. I thought, what a statement that he would say about these people when God hears them, they're brought up before God's ears, so to speak. God would say, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. I'm proud of them, we could say it another way. So let's think about that. How could I make God proud? Well, the title and the theme is, it takes real faith, real faith to make God proud. Real faith makes God proud. But the question is, how, how so? Like, what about my faith could make God proud to where he says, I'm not ashamed to call them my son or daughter. Well, we're going to see with Abraham and and Sarah what they did, how they lived, the kind of faith they had that led God to say, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. If you would, out of respect for reading God's word, please join me in standing, starting in Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born many descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on by the seashore. These all died in faith, having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Now, verse 16 again is the key. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Pray with me for a moment. Lord Jesus, we just come before you as the songs have sung for all the wonderful things you've done for us, the promises of yours we can stand on. And God, I now ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, that you would convey the truth from this passage this morning, that we would all leave here today having a greater sense, a greater understanding of the kind of faith that Abraham and Sarah had, but not just for a Bible lesson, but so we would know how to live our faith in such a way that you would say about us, I'm, I'm not ashamed to be called your God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the theme I want you to think about is real faith makes God proud. Well, how so? Here's the first thing to point out. Let's talk about Abraham. What about Abraham and Sarah, their faith, I mean? What about their faith made God proud to be their God? The first thing he points out in verse 8 is, let's call this confident faith. Abraham's confident faith. And here's what I mean by confident faith. Confident faith obeys God even when, even when the future is unknown. That's going to be the key with Abraham. He had a confident faith and it caused him to obey God's word. But the key is he was confident that even though he had no clue where it was going to go, like literally we're going to talk in a minute, he travels, he sets out on a journey. He doesn't know where he's going to end up. He just goes. But he had such confident faith that he trusted God that confidently God was in control of his future. He just trusted God's got it under control. So confident faith obeys God even when the future is unknown because we are confident God is in control. So verse 8, again, by faith. So here's what he did by faith. Abraham obeyed. Well, what did he obey? When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, and the key phrase, not knowing where he was going. So by faith, God called Abraham, and he responded in faith. How? What's the proof? He obeyed. But again, the kicker is, God did not lay out the plan. I won't read it to you, but you could find it in Genesis chapter 12 is where it begins. Abraham covers many chapters in the book of Genesis. He's very, very popular in the book of Genesis. In fact, the author of Hebrews spends more time in Hebrews chapter 11 devoted to Abraham than any other person he mentions here. Very important guy. He's talked about in the New Testament all throughout for his great faith. Well, what showed he had such great faith? Because he wasn't a perfect man. Well, here Hebrews points out, here's why he's using him as a model of faith. In Genesis 12, God says to this man, used to be called Abram, he lived in a faraway land in a different people group, had his family there, and God said to him, leave your family, your friends, your homeland, leave everything that you've known for all your life up to that point and travel, literally travel to a distant land where I'll show you. God never told him the name of the place where he was going to go. He just said, start going, and I'll get you where you need to go. And then he said, if you do this, Abram, I'm going to do something through you 
for the rest of human history. Two things he really promised. He said, I will give you as many descendants as the stars, if you could dare count them. As many as the grains of the sand on a seashore, if you could dare count them. And the second thing, he said, when you go to this promised land, I will let your descendants dwell there. They'll form a nation in this physical land area. Here's the catch with Abram's life, though, if you know his story. He was married to Sarah. They had lived a long time. The Bible says past childbearing years from human terminology, and they'd had no children. And yet God says to him, leave everything behind, your comfort zone, leave it all behind. Family, friends, whatever career he may have had, leave it all. Go to a place I'm not going to tell you the name of yet, just trust me and go, and I'll give you so many kids like the stars in the sky. Abram could have said, I can't have children. My wife can't have children. If we could have, we would have already. You mean you want me to just leave and go and trust you? But look at what he says he did in verse 8. It says, and it's interesting the wording in the Greek this was written in, it says here that he obeyed when he was called. That's a present tense, meaning God was calling him. And then, though, it says he went out. Now, what that means is he's saying this quite literally. It's as if God was speaking to Abraham about go out and do this. And before God was done talking, Abraham had already set out on his journey. He's pointing out to us with great emphasis that Abraham obeyed immediately. He didn't debate with God. He didn't sit on it for a day. He packed up and went immediately when he heard God's call. So here he says, look, this is a sign of a confident faith. How so? Because like he says, Abraham had no clue where this was going to go. He didn't even physically know where he was supposed to live. He just went. So again, he showed a confident faith and obeyed, trusting God had control of the future. By faith, he obeyed without knowing all the plan, all the details. I must confess to you, I would have a lot of challenges with this if God did this for me. My personality is such that I must know all the details. I have to know before I set out A through Z. I need to know all the contingency plans. I try to think through all the hypothetical things that could go wrong, and then I plan accordingly. And if I can't figure it all out, then I just sort of get stalled, and I don't move until I kind of have figured out a solution to everything. So I dare say God knew what he was doing, because if he'd called me to this, I'd probably be like, but, but wait, God, when I figure this out here, I don't really know where I'm supposed to live. So how do I know the cost of living? How do I know I can afford it? And I haven't had children yet, and you're telling me I'm going to have kids. W what are we going to do about that? I need to know what's actually going to happen. God didn't do that with Abraham. But Abraham just obeyed. He just went. Why? He had a confident faith. Abraham trusted God. He didn't know the plan, but he just went. He knew that he could take it one step at a time, and that was good enough for him. I have not read this book I'm about to share with you. I want to point that out. So if you read it and you say it's garbage, I'm sorry. I've not read it, but I remembered it because I used to work at Lifeway when they had stores. And I remember seeing this book sitting on the shelf, and when I studied for this message, the title of that book popped in my head. So I googled it and looked up some things about it. But it's a book by a lady named Stormy O'Martian. I hope I'm saying her name right. But the title is Just Enough Light for the Step I'm On. And the point of her book, she says is to help Christians see through the uncertainty of their future. She says God may be calling you to something that, that you look ahead and say, I don't see how that can be possible. And she says, look, God gives you enough light for right where you are, and you just need to trust him that he'll give you enough light for the next step. 
not the ten steps ahead, but just the next step. You just need to trust and you need to go. I think she's on to something. That's what Abraham did. She has this quote, When God aims us in a new direction, we have to let go of what we've known, be willing to embrace the unfamiliar, and trust that God will sustain us on the journey. I think she perfectly captures Abraham's story with that quote. Abraham didn't know how it was going to go. He trusted the light he had for the step and the next step, and he just kept going step by step. She further says, when we come to a place where we trust that God's timing is perfect, we can be content no matter where we are because we know that God will not leave us there forever. Maintaining a passion for the present means embracing the light we have where we are at this time. And here's the thing, and trusting that that is enough. That's the kind of faith Abraham had. The kind of faith that I say I don't think I can have all the time. But he did. Abraham had a confident faith and it made God proud. Confident faith obeys God even when the future is unknown because your confident God is in control. The second thing about Abraham's faith that made God proud, he had a focused faith, let's call it. Verses 9 through 10. Abraham's focused faith. What I mean here is he had a focused faith. That kind of faith lives life on earth focused on your heavenly home on what God has in store for you yet to come. So what I'm about to share with you next, think of it like this. Abram's faith was focused. His focus was in the right places. He wasn't focused on the things of earth and this temporary life. He was focused on the stuff yet to come. And that's how he conducted himself. So in verse 9, he says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So here in verse 9, he begins to let us know that here's the ironic thing about Abram's story. He obeyed and set out on the journey. God took him to the promised land. But the ironic thing is, God never told Abraham to build a house. If you read the book of Genesis, it will say this phrase that he always set up a tent. And then he would be told by God to go to another city. He'd take the tent down and go to that city, set up another tent. It's what he says here. With Isaac and Jacob as well, they lived in tents. So he's promised an inheritance, a track of land. If you're given land by a family relative, maybe they passed away, you can do something with that. It's yours. You might say, I'm going to inherit this land and I'm going to set up shop here. I'm going to build a house. Well, you would think that that's what God lets Abraham do, but he doesn't. He gets him to the promised land and he basically makes him live like a nomad. He says, set up a tent here and live for a little bit. Now take it down and come over here and set up a tent. But the, the thing the writer of Hebrews wants us to see is that was Abraham living by faith to continue to do that. Because Abraham could have said, but God, I thought you said I'd inherit this land. If I inherit it, don't I get to build a house and live here till I die? God said, no, you won't, but your great, 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 great grandchildren one day will. But not you, not even your son and your grandson. Isaac and Jacob, he mentions, they live like nomads too. They never got to build a house there. So, Abram showed that his faith was focused, though, because the question is, how could he live like this? Look at verse 10. He answers how Abraham could do this. Because Abraham was looking forward to the future, to the city that has foundations, meaning permanent foundations, not tents anymore like a nomad, but the city he was looking forward to had a designer and builder who is God. So, the point here, he's saying, how could Abraham live like this? Because his faith was focused in the right places. Where was it focused? To the city of God in heaven. Abraham knew that God was going to take him to that promised land, but he had enough faith to know, 
I may not set up roots here and live permanently and retire, so to speak, here. My son and my grandson may not either, but one day God will do exactly what he promised me he would do. A nation will be formed here. God will do that. But Abraham knew, but not in my lifetime. So why did he do it? Because he had enough faith in God to know it's not about living life on this earth. That's really not the goal. Abraham looked at this and said, the goal is living life in preparation for eternity with God in heaven. He kept his focus on that. That's how he could get by. He had a focused faith that could still live in tents, knowing he would never see the fulfillment of that promise about getting the land. How? Because he was focused on God's city in heaven. He was looking for that city, not a city on earth. By faith, Abraham could look beyond his present circumstances in life. So that's the key I want you to see. He could, he could be in a present life circumstance. He could look past it, though. Where did he look? He could look to the true prize yet to come of eternity with God in heaven. Abraham was promised all this stuff, but again, he never saw it come true in his day. He had one son. He had more than one son, technically. That's another story. But between him and Sarah, they biologically had one son born. And yet God told him, you'll have as many children as the stars. He didn't see that in his lifetime. God said, you'll inherit this land. He didn't see that in his lifetime. He got a taste of all of that. Well, how could he continue to live by faith? He didn't care about the earthly stuff. He just wanted to live for God. And he was waiting for all those promises to really come true in heaven one day. His focus was beyond his earthly life. His focus was where it counted. It was in heaven. What does a focused faith look like? Think of an example like this of what I'm trying to get at here that Abraham could do. Unfortunately, some of us, maybe one day or you may have already, you may get a bad medical report. The doctor calls or they tell you the test results showed cancer or they showed whatever, and it's not, not great news. And you're a Christian and you believe your Bible and you've read something like Luke 11, 11 through 13, where Jesus said that your heavenly father is a good father. And he says, look, you're, you're a good father on earth. If their son says, dad, I'm hungry, they're not going to give their child a snake or a scorpion and let it bite them. Jesus was telling that analogy to say, your heavenly father is much better than that. He'll never give you something that's unloving and unkind. But then you think, but wait a minute, if I've got this bad medical report and I'm facing chemo treatments or whatever it may be, and yet the Bible says on the one hand that I have a lovingly heavenly father who only gives me good things, this bad medical outlook is not a good thing. How do the two go together? Romans 8.28 then says, God works all things for good to those who love him. Now, it doesn't say that all things that come into the life of a Christian are good. It's not what it says. It says that even the bad things that come into your earthly life, God can work them out for a good. And I want to stress this. It may be that you never see what good come from that in your lifetime. You may never see that. That's the point of Abraham's story here. He was told by God a promise. He got a taste of it. And he never saw it fully come true in his lifetime. But he never doubted God's goodness God's kindness. He lived by faith because his focus was on eternity, not temporary life. Abraham in the promised land had famines at times. God sent famines in there where there's no food. And yet God says, live in the land of promise. Now, if you read Abraham's story, he failed and sinned. 
He left the promised land and thought he could solve it his way. But God always told Abraham, Abraham, don't leave this land. I will take care of you. Abraham could have said, but God, there's a famine. I have no food. And God would say, no, trust me. I meant what I said. I'll take care of you. Faith says this. I can see beyond my earthly circumstances like Abraham could. Yes, those earthly circumstances may be hard, like bad medical report or so forth. They may even seem impossible to you for you to get through them. But I can keep my heart in the right place, my focus in the right place, because I trust the promise that God is a loving father. He may lead me to walk through a very dark valley at times for a season, but I know that he'll bring me to glory in heaven and he will fulfill everything he's promised his children. That is the kind of faith Abraham had. An earthly circumstance comes his way that was bad. He could see past it. He was looking to heaven. Faith like Abraham did not get caught up in the earthly circumstances. He kept his focus where it belonged. So Abraham, by faith, he says, could live like a nomad, even though he was promised that land, but he never fully got that land because he could look beyond the earthly and keep his spiritual eyes in eternity. He lived his life on earth in preparation for his eternal heavenly life yet to come. He didn't live life on earth as if that was the only life he had to live. That's the key. Unfortunately, so many people in life, I think that they think this life, this physical life, before they physically die, that's it. They've all, that's all they've got. So get everything out of it that you can. And I, I just, that's really sad to me. That is incredibly sad to live that way, I think. Because if this life is all there is, that's, that's pretty grim. Even if you've had a good life, I think you'd still point to a lot of things where you'd say, there's a lot of bad, though. There's been a lot of downs. I've had times I've been depressed, times that things have not gone right. So again, Abraham, though, could say, but I live by faith in the eternity yet to come. Abraham didn't set up things to where he could say, I'm trying to make my best life now here in this earth. No, Abraham said, God's blessing me now, but I'm really going to be blessed when I'm there in his city in heaven one day. That's what a focused faith does. But that, not only that, let's look at the third thing, and we're going to mention his wife, Sarah. She's going to get brought up. Sarah had an overcoming faith. An overcoming faith makes God proud. What does that kind of faith do? Overcoming faith trusts that God will do what he says he will do. Here's the key, even if it seems humanly impossible. That's verses 11 and 12. If you look there, it says, By faith Sarah herself, she received an ability to give birth to a child. Well, what's so big deal about that? She was very elderly by this time. In fact, it says that she was past the proper time, some translations say. He's, in layman's terms, just saying her, her body was, humanly speaking, not capable of bearing a child successfully. She had long passed those years. They were behind her. But yet it says, by faith, she received the power to conceive even when she was past the age. How? Because she considered him, that's God, faithful who had promised. Now, the ironic thing about Sarah's life, if you read her story, she did not start out that way. In fact, there was a time when God promised again to Abraham and Sarah, you, next year, he says, you'll have a child. And Sarah laughed. She thought that was crazy. And God called her out for it. So, you know, why are you laughing? Do you not think that God can do the impossible? And Sarah kind of lied and was like, oh, I, I wasn't laughing about that. I was laughing about something, you know, 
this guy did over here. And God says, no, you were laughing because you don't trust the promise. Now, we don't have it recorded in Genesis, but somewhere between her doubt until she had the child born Isaac, Hebrews says she came to faith because here she's commended for having enough faith to just take God at his word. And she basically said, I don't know how it's physically possible that I could give birth to a child in my old age, but if God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it somehow, some way. Now, I'm, I'm saying here she had an overcoming faith. Why am I saying overcoming? Because what Sarah shows us is she could make God proud with her kind of faith because God told her something that from a human perspective was impossible that it could come true. Yet Sarah had enough faith to just trust that God would make it happen somehow, some way. It says she considered God faithful who had promised. What were the results? Verse 12, she gave birth. Her and Abraham gave birth to this child Isaac. And it says there were born from this one man. And by the way, he was old too, because it says he was considered as good as dead. And from that, it says were born as many descendants as the stars of heaven and the grains of sand by the seashore. So Sarah had a kind of faith that says, whatever God's put in front of me or told me, I think it's impossible, but I trust he can make it work. That's an overcoming faith. She overcame her physical limitations and God fulfilled his promise. God, think of it like this for our lives today. You read in your Bible and you read things like where God says that he sent Jesus to die for all men and women, all people. Regardless of race, background, creed, he sent God, Jesus to die for all people. And then it says that any person, any person who calls on the name of Christ, confesses their sins and repents of them, they will be saved. That's a promise. God says that will happen for you. But you might say something like this. But you mean to tell me that my so-and-so relative or so-and-so friend who has ridiculed me for being a Christian my whole life, who's lived like they are the spawn of Satan, as much as I've known them, you mean to tell me that that's true about them too, that they could actually repent of their sins and be washed and cleansed and forgiven and that God would let them into heaven? You could probably think of someone like that if you tried hard enough, where you know, like, you mean that that, that person that I'm, I'm thinking about, how they've lived their life for so many years, like, they're, they're crazy in their sin. You... you I know what the Bible says, but they're past that. No. Overcoming faith says, I trust that, that I don't see how that can happen, but I trust that if God says he can convict someone's soul, even to the point where they're broken and they're humbled and they repent of their sins, he'll save them. Maybe they were a drunk for 50 years. Maybe they left their family. Fill in the blank with how bad you could think someone is. Yes, that promise would apply to them too. God can work that out even if we can't see it. You read in your Bible where I already mentioned Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good for his children. But you say, I don't see how that can work in my life though because I'm going through this situation right now and I can't for the life of me ever see how that could ever have good come from it. You may be right. And again, you may not see that in your earthly lifetime. It may be you, God makes you walk through some dark season and you die and, and go to heaven, it may be your grandchild, your great-grandchild, that you never really got to see grow up yet. But maybe something you went through 40, 50 years later, now then, God does something with that and works that out with your great-grandkid or a friend or whoever, fill in the blank. 
the point is, we don't know how God can work that out, but we know he does. He promises he does. Sarah just took God at his word. She said, okay, I don't know how it's going to work, but I just trust you. That's an overcoming faith. You just trust that whatever God's put in front of you, you don't see how it can conclude in a good way, but you just trust that it will. Sarah received the ability to give birth beyond her body's natural years to get pregnant because she had faith that God promised it, so he'll do it. Now, I want to give a caution here. I don't mean for a moment to suggest that all you have to do to get what you want from God is just have enough faith, and then whatever you ask for, he'll do for you. I'm not saying that at all. God is not our genie. What am I saying, though? Sarah was given a direct promise from the mouth of God. God told her this, like, you will have a son in your old age. She heard that. So that's what I mean by she could trust that promise. What I'm saying is we are clearly told things by God about what he will do in our lives. And we can take that to the bank that even if we don't understand how it's going to work out, overcoming faith says, I trust that God will do what he says he will do. Well, the question is, how do I know what God has said to me? I don't audibly hear his voice like Sarah and Abraham did. How do I then know the things God said to me? Again, it's pretty simple. The Bible. This is God's word. So you read this book, you read God's word, and you read things in it that you think this sounds impossible to work out in my life. But the faith of Sarah would say, I just take God at his word. He'll work it out. So I'm going to obey what it says. So what kind of faith makes God proud? It's a confident faith. That's a confident faith that believes God controls the uncertainty of your future. So you live obediently to what he's told you today. Sort of that idea like, the writer said the light for the one step you're on and the next step. It was a confident faith, a focused faith. That's where you live life on earth as if you're a traveler passing through. You keep your, your spiritual eyes on your home in heaven, not focused on the things here in this life. And then it was an overcoming faith, a faith that trusts God can overcome what seems humanly possible. That's what Sarah showed us. Real quick, let me end with this final, final one. And that's that... How do we make God proud with our faith? Have a victorious faith. Well, how can I have a victorious faith? That's a faith that never stops trusting in God's promises until you die and then you fully see all those promises come true in heaven. That'll be real quick, the last verses, 13 through 16. Look at verse 13. He just simply says, These all, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, they died in faith. They lived by faith and then they died in faith. It's sort of like they're... Their circle was complete, and it was all wrapped in faith. And I think he's stressing this because it's one thing to live by faith, but then you near the end of life and you start to just really question God, like, God, you never did this for me and that for me and that for me. That's not what they did. They lived by faith, and they died in faith. That's a victorious faith. It, it, they had a faith that never stopped having faith in God. They didn't have faith for 20 years and then stop. They kept going. How did this work? He says here in verse 13, they died in faith not having received the things promised. They didn't fully get what God promised, but what did they do? They saw them from a distance. They could peer through the future almost sort of and trust so much in those promises they knew. We won't see it come true, but maybe four or five, ten generations later, God will do it though. So we will live obediently to his promises, trusting that even though we'll die and not see it, God will make it come true. 
That was their victorious faith. He says in verse 14 the, that people who talk like that and live like that, what they do, they prove that they're seeking a home. But they're not seeking a home on earth. They're seeking a home in God's city. And he says in verse 15, if they had been wanting a home on earth, what, what would Abraham and Sarah have done? They just would have went back home to where it all started. Back to their family, their friends, their comfort zone. But they didn't do that. They stayed traveling like nomads because they trusted God with faith and they had a victorious faith because at the end of their life they were still having faith. They died in faith. They died in faith knowing we didn't see it, but our offspring will one day, but in heaven God will make all things clear to us. Verse 16 where it ends, he says, As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. They were living for heaven, not earth. And I like how he ends on that phrase, which is where we started. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham and Sarah and these people, they had a victorious faith. How? They died while still having faith. They didn't stop having faith. And it would look like this for us. It's when you and I go to our physical death in this life, knowing that once we die and we enter eternal glory with God, we will then fully have all the promises we have believed throughout our whole life. God will bring them all clear. A quick example, think of it like this. You're told that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven of your sins. All your sins are forgiven. But here's the catch. You and I still sin, even as a child of God. But the Bible says one day when you enter heaven, there'll be no more sin. So there's a promise we live today with. I'm a forgiven sinner Jesus has forgiven my sins, I'm forgiven, yet I still sin, so I long for the day when I no longer even sin. It, it's done, it's behind me. But victorious faith says, I trust and know that one day all those things God said will happen to me, he will make them actually happen for me. It may be when I'm in heaven, that's what Abraham and Sarah saw, but they never stopped having faith. It was a victorious faith that went to their grave with them. You welcome God's promises from a distance by living life now as if you've already got those promises. Knowing though when I die, I'll fully have them then. So again, how can I make God proud? We have to have faith, but not just any kind of faith, the faith like they had. Can you say this morning, you know what? I'm not a perfect person. They weren't perfect either. But could God say about you, when he's in his heavenly court, you remember the story of Job? If you've read that, how it begins in the book of Job, it says that Satan goes before God and he starts talking about all these people that do all this sin on earth. But God said this about Job. He said to Satan, have you looked at my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. That's what I'm talking about. Could God look down from heaven and say, have you seen my servant, your name, there's no other Christian like them. And I am not ashamed to be called their God because they have a confident faith that trusts me with their future even when they can't see it. They're focused, not on earth, but things of heaven. They're overcome what seems impossible to them because they have faith that God can just make it work. And God could say, I have such confidence in their faith that's so strong that they're going to take it to their grave knowing that they'll have everything I've promised them when they reach eternity. But I want to end by stressing this. Everything I've said only applies to you if you have entered faith. How do you enter faith? Only through Jesus Christ. 
you have to first enter faith to start your journey of faith. You enter it by confessing your sins, repenting, believing you're actually a sinner, doomed to face God's judgment, but that God, on the other hand, loves you enough He sent Jesus to die for those sins. That's why He died on the cross. He paid your price. If you believe in Him, confess those sins, have faith in Him, then God says there's a swap. Your sins are placed on Jesus. They're paid for. His righteousness is placed on you. And one day when you enter glory, then you can, God could ask you, why should I let you into heaven? And you can say, because I trusted in Christ and he paid for my sins. I don't deserve to be here, but he told me I could be here. That's why. That's how you enter faith, though, to begin your journey of faith. I pray that you know him this morning. I pray that you have a confident, focused, overcoming, and victorious faith. I'm going to pray and have Bruce and his people come and give us a time to reflect. Lord, thank you for the confidence that by faith in you we're forgiven for all eternity and thank you for people to look to from your bible like abraham and sarah and isaac and jacob because god you're brutally honest in the bible they were not perfect they had many many mistakes and yet here we are talking about them as models of the kind of faith we should have lord would you help each of us as we leave here today be concerned and focused about are you proud to call us your son or your daughter because of the kind of faith that we have and we live it every day in our lives. And I pray that if someone is here and they don't know what it means to be saved, that they would today repent of their sins and come to Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.